There was this tightrope walker who did incredible aerial feats. And all over Paris, he would do tightrope acts as, at these tremendously scary heights. And so sometimes he would even do it a tightrope act, blindfolded, pushing a wheelbarrow across a tightrope. And that's what, this one wouldn't actually work. All right, the metaphor is breaking down, but you see what I mean. All right. And so this American promoter read about it in the paper, and he wrote a letter to the tightrope walker, and he said, uh, will you come to the U.S.? I'll give you a substantial amount of money, and if you're willing to do this, I want you to do it over Niagara Falls. And so if you've ever been to Niagara Falls before. And so it's a true story. And so he came. And after some promotion, a whole lot of people came to watch him die, probably. <laughs> We're terrible. And, uh, and they put this tight rope across. And he was supposed to do it from um, the Canadian side to the U.S. side. And people watched. And to everyone's amazement, the tightrope walker just goes across the most treacherous parts of the falls. He's even blindfolded. He makes it look so easy. The crowd is going wild. People are just amazed at what he can do. And so he gets down off the tightrope and he says, well, uh, Mr. Promoter, now do you believe I can do it? And the promoter says, well, of course I do. I just watched you do it. Of course I believe you can do it. And the tightrope walker said, no, 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 but do you really believe that I can do it? And the promoter said, yes, I believe you. I just watched you do it, and I made a lot of money watching you do it. Of course you can do it. And the tightrope walker said, good, get in the wheelbarrow. (laughs) (laughs) That was the true test of the promoter's belief. This week, we are starting a series called Risky Faith, and it's part of our anchored teaching value because we want to be a church that really understands the Bible. The Bible is what we base all our truth upon, and and there are some really incredible examples of people in the scripture who took some risky faith, people who got into the wheelbarrow because they believed God could do it. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about a certain character in the scripture, uh, the character of Elisha. And so for the rest of the month, we're just going to be studying him. My, my prayer is that you would leave church every week and have learned something about the book of the Bible and about Elisha specifically. And so a lot of Elisha's story is in First and Second Kings. And I want to just give you um, a little bit of background about that. Um, in that time, First and Second Kings is actually book, uh, two books of the Bible that talk all about the failures of the kingship at the time. And so it just talks about all of these kings of Israel and kings of Judah who fail to adhere to the standard that God intended uh, for the people to be ruled over. Um, Solomon, you may have heard of him, he demonstrated wisdom and justice as God blessed him, but he had some significant failures, some failures that actually led to split the kingdom. And so it's interesting, as the kings became worse and less and less how God intended them to lead, God began to display his leadership um, through the prophets instead of the kings. And that's actually what we see here. It's particularly true and the life of Elisha, that his prophetic call to leadership came because other people were not doing what they were supposed to be doing. And so Elisha had this prophetic call to leadership on his life. And so today, I want to look in 2 Kings 2, 
And we're going to read the first bit of that chapter that's going to talk about how Elisha gets his calling into his leadership. So you can uh, look on the screen or follow along if you have a Bible today. Here's what I'm going to do. It's, it's a pretty long passage, so I'm just going to stop and give you my commentary along the way so that you can kind of understand what's happening. So let's start 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. When the Lord was about to take Elijah, now don't get confused, there's two, up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. All right, let's stop there for a minute. So Elisha was relentless. He stayed by the prophet's side as he traveled to all of these places. In fact, you kind of, I feel like you kind of see it. It's as if Elijah is trying to shake him a little, like, give me some space, man. Maybe Elijah was an introvert. It's possible. How many of you are introvert and you go on a trip with somebody and about 12 hours in you're like, okay, like that's good. Just put your headphones in, please. You have that moment, right? You're just like, just get, could, you, could you give me just a little bit of space? And, and Elijah says, just stay here, stay here. I'm going to go to this other place. And Elisha says, no, no, I'm going with you. I'm going with you. Whether you like it or not, I'm, I'm with you. I want to go from start to finish. I don't want to miss something important that you do that I don't see. And so Elisha sticks like glue right onto Elijah. All right, let's look at verse 3. So the company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. (laughs) The Bible's funny, all right? So then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha. You see that? He's trying to get him. Get away from me. Um, The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replies, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. And the company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, so be quiet. And then Elijah said to him, stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walk on. So the company of the prophets that they're talking about here was this band of, like, prophets in training. Basically, it was a bunch of interns, all right? A bunch of students that were together. And they were actually learning techniques that made them receptive to divine messages. They were learning how to hear from God. And they were learning from prophets that were successful in what they were doing. And so maybe we might call today, uh, we might call them, like, a seminary, a place where you learn how to hear from God. And so these particular cities that the scripture is mentioning, Gilgal, Bethel, and Jericho, all had these schools, these seminaries of of prophets and training. And they were likely founded by Samuel, who was a scholar, and he began to, to raise up these different schools. And so Elijah was traveling around to these different schools, and he was offering a words of encouragement to the interns. He was, he was going place to place, and he was telling them, listen, carry the torch that I carried. He knows his time is short. His time is almost up. He's saying, leave a legacy. Like, don't, don't fail me now. I, I have given my whole life to show the glory of God. Now it's your turn. And he's going and he's giving them these pep talks all around. And he's probably telling them stories and stories about the risky faith moments that he had. He, he, he's talking to them about how there were times that he got in the wheelbarrow 
And he, and he trusted God, and every single time, God was faithful to him. And he's just, he's just getting the faith of these people stirred up. And so it's interesting, at Bethel and Jericho, the prophets ask Elisha the same question, do you know that the Lord is going to take away your master? And both times he answers, yes, I know, be quiet, which kind of is funny, but it kind of seems like an odd answer, right? Why is he saying that to them? And it, it was almost like a security guard that follows around a politician. No questions, no questions, please. We're not talking about that. He, he's clearing the space. He was clearing the air. He was basically saying, yes, we know that, but Elijah has a lot more to say than to talk about the end. He wants to talk about how you take us into the future. It's not about the end. It's about the faithfulness of God going forward. And so Elisha is kind of silencing them and saying, this is the last conversation you're going to have with Elijah. Make it count. So be quiet. And that's kind of why that context is what he's saying. All right, let's go to verse 7. So 50 men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. And they're talking about a river. So they stop at a river, and these 50 people are watching. And Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. And the water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. So those 50 men followed them because they wanted to see a miracle. And they knew that miracles followed Elijah. And they saw one. They got there and they watched it. It was interesting. Uh, this is a miracle that the prophets would know well because God had done something similar centuries earlier when he parted the Red Sea and Moses and the children of Israel walked across uh, the Red Sea on dry land. Well, this is what happened. Same thing. Elijah and Elisha, uh, his cloak hits the water, the water parts, and, and the river is, is on dry ground, and God's faithfulness again shows in this moment. Do it again, Lord, and he does it. Do it again, because our confidence is in your faithfulness, and we know if you've done it before, you can do it again. And he did. All right, so verse 9 says, They cross the river, and Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. And so I think they're, as they're going through this kind of tour of the seminaries, they're getting to the end. And Elijah turns to Elisha and says, okay, this is pretty much going to be the final hours of my life. What do you need to know? What do you need from me? What do you want from me when I'm gone so that you can continue on with being the prophet of Israel? And, and I love Elisha just thinks big. He doesn't hesitate. He goes right for the jugular. <laughs> he says, I want what you have times two. I want a double dose. And, and I love this, this concept because it's Elijah, Elisha watches Elijah experience God in this significant way. And it shows this faith of Elisha because basically he's saying, I know what God can do through you and I believe he can do twice as much as that. So give me all that you have and then I want God to pour even more out on me. In that culture, uh, the laws of inheritance were that the firstborn gets the double share 
And so that's the person who takes over the responsibility and the leadership of the family. And so they get a double share of, of whatever the, the, the parent has left. And, and Elisha says, I don't want your possessions. I want my inheritance in the form of the Holy Spirit. I want my inheritance in the form of double of what you've operated in. And Elijah's response is, this is difficult because Elijah can't give him that. Elijah could give him all his stuff and his land and even his reputation. He could write him a really great reference letter to one of the seminaries. But Elijah could not dispense the power of the Holy Spirit. That was only coming from God. And so he says, this is difficult, but God can honor your request. And so let's look at verse 11. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Now, Elijah's on a very short list, a list of two people that the scripture says have never experienced death. Enoch is the other one in Genesis 5, and, and Elijah has this moment where he, he experienced so many miracles, he was heroic, he was humble, and now at the end of his life, he doesn't have to experience death. He just gets to be swept up in chariots of, of, and in, in horses, and he gets to go to heaven. So let's see how this ends. Verse 12, Elisha saw this and cried out, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more, and then he took hold of his garment, and he tore it in two. And Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him, and he went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan, and he took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah, and he struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. And when he struck the water, it divided it to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. So Elisha saw what happened, and he remembered that Elijah told him, if you see it, you'll get the double portion. And so I love this moment, if we could, if we could somehow look Look upon it. Basically, Elisha picks up the cloak and says, how can I test it? How can I test if I got the double portion? I have the cloak. I have the cloak. What do I do? How do I do it? And he says, well, I know that that miracle happened at the Jordan. And so he, he goes back to the Jordan as if to say, God, are you still here? Did, did I get what I asked for? Did I get the double portion of your spirit? Did, did you go away with Elijah up into the chariots, or are you still here? And he strikes the water, and it parts in two. And the scripture says, Elisha crossed over. And I believe that that means he physically crossed over, but also he crossed over in the supernatural. He crossed over into his calling, into his purpose, and into his double portion. And he did it because he had the faith to take the cloak of Elijah and go to the very place where he saw God faithful and say, God, will you do it again? And God honored that. God honored that risky faith. So in this passage, we see Elisha taking some strategic and big risks to be used by God. And so I just want to turn our attention now to the transferable principles, the, the things that right now we can do living years later out of the Old Testament that makes Elisha's risky faith possible. Action steps that we can actually live out so that we can see God do again and again and again and again 
what he has done for his people. And, and they're this, think big, fight hard, play smart, and then get in the wheelbarrow. <laughs> think big, fight hard, play smart, and then get in the wheelbarrow. All right, so let's start with think big. We need to not be afraid to ask big things of God. Elisha went straight for the double portion. I want what you have times two. He asked for a double dose of the Holy Spirit. And I believe in that he was asking for for, uh, the spirit of faith. Elijah was just always trusting the presence of God and the power of his word. He knew that God was in control 100% of the time. He walked by faith. And Elisha said, I want more of the spirit of faith. He asked for a double dose of a spirit of obedience. His mentor, Elijah, instantly, without question, when God commanded something, he did it. It made no sense at all. Take your cloak and whip it into the water. It'll split. Okay. And then he does it, and it happens every single time. And Elisha saw what God could do with a heart like that, and he said, make my heart twice as sensitive, twice as willing to be obedient to you. That when you even breathe, when you even say, I, I want you to, to, to do this, I don't question for a minute. It doesn't take me a week of, of sleepless nights to get up and do what you're asking me to do. I just do it because my, my spirit of obedience is so strong and so clear. I believe Elisha asked for a double dose of a spirit of courage. That he would need the courage to stand for God even when others ran away. That he would need the courage to stand for God when he was being questioned, when he was being persecuted. That he would need a double dose of the spirit of faith and of courage and of obedience. He wasn't asking for, for power or wealth or position. He was asking to be controlled by the spirit of God. It wasn't a request of pride. It was a request of necessity. And I believe that that transfers today that we need to think big, to ask big. To ask God for more of the spirit of faith, more of a spirit of obedience, more of a spirit of courage, that God would stir that up in us. And, and, and we have seen what God did with Elijah and Elisha when they had faith and obedience and courage. Can you imagine what God could do with us today? Resist the urge to come to God and ask small and tame things. God, if you can, if you will, please, just, if you can, just ask big, think big, risk big for God's kingdom. Maybe he is just waiting for you to ask him for the impossible. What if he is just waiting for you to have enough faith to say, God, give me a double dose. This is what I need. This is what we need to happen. Maybe God is just waiting for that, and I have no doubt if we become a people who ask God for more of faith, more obedience, and more courage, that we will begin to see remarkable and amazing things in this city. Second is to fight hard, to fight hard. So we saw in the scripture, every turn, uh, the sons of the prophets ask Elisha the same question. Hey, do you know that God is going to take away your master? And, and it kind of has this connotation of, um, like, why are you still following that old man? Like, stay with us. We're on the cutting edge. He's going to take him away. They tried to talk him out of his assignment. And if there's one thing that I know from reading the scripture, 
and from my own personal experience, is if you decide you're going to take risks of faith for God, you better look out because all around you there will be people who will do their best to try to talk you out of it. People who love you. People who are very well-meaning. People who want what they think is best for you, but wholehearted commitment to the cause of Christ does not make sense. And so it leaves a lot of people baffled and a lot of people not sure what you're thinking. But when you step out in faith, it becomes the supernatural, not the natural, and it doesn't always make sense in the natural anymore. If people are trying to talk you out of risky faith, you are in good company. Joseph, Daniel, Paul, Elisha, Jesus, all, all these people <laughs> had people saying to them, you can't do this. Why would you do that? Forget that. Go away from your assignment. Come do this. This makes more sense. But don't let the crowd shake you. Just run with God. Because God says, get in the wheelbarrow, close your eyes. <laughs> Just let me go. And fight just tenaciously to get there and to stay on track with him. I ate at a Chinese restaurant recently, speaking of risky faith right there. Um, and uh, my fortune cookie read this. Behold the turtle. He makes progress only when he sticks his neck out. And I'll tell you what. I had a God moment in that Chinese restaurant for a minute. And I thought, God, that's exactly what you tell us to do. Is that it won't always be easy to follow God's purpose and plan for your life. But Elijah tells Elisha, get that double portion of the spirit. Take, take it out to the world. Blessing will come if you fight hard to stay committed. And if you are willing to go all the way with the Lord, he will bless your life with his power and his Holy Spirit. So finish strong, stay strong, wherever you are in your relationship with God right now. The third is play smart, play smart. So Elisha was smart because he would not leave Elijah's side. And I think the reason that he did that is because he knew who he wanted to be. He knew that that's who he wanted to be, that that's where he wanted to go, that that was his purpose, that that was his calling. And Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. He knew that Psalm 145, 4 said, the Lord commands us to tell the next generation how to serve him. This is God's, uh, God's plan, is that we would help one another get to what God's calling is for us. And he knew that spiritual friendships were extremely valuable and God's plan for passing the mantle of faith. So Elisha got around the people he wanted to be. He put himself in position to be around Elijah. Whether Elijah liked it all the time or not, clearly, Elisha wanted to be around Elijah. He, he was motivated. He was encouraged. He played smart. And it's interesting in the scripture, there's a lot of examples of this, and Elisha would know of some of these examples. Um, Eli mentored Samuel. Samuel mentored Saul and David. David became Israel's greatest king. 
David mentored Solomon. Solomon poured the truth into the queen of Sheba, who returned to her people with his wisdom in the form of Proverbs that applied God's law. And this ripple effect impacted nations and nations and nations of people. And so I think Elisha saw that in his life. And he said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to hang around Elijah so that I can understand risky faith. I want to see some examples of it. He needed someone in his life to say, go for it. God's with you. Take that cloak and go to the river and and strike it in the water and trust that God's going to show up. He needed someone to to pick him off the floor and brush off his knees and pat him on the back and say, listen, that didn't work this time. That's okay. Get up. Let's do it again. He needed someone to say, I'm with you. I'm for you. Yeah, you're right. You don't have it all worked out yet. That's okay. We're getting there. Don't throw it in yet. It is smart to find someone in your life who is just maybe a few steps ahead of you spiritually. Maybe someone who has lived just a little longer. Maybe someone who, who is willing to help you think big and fight hard and play smart. Someone that encourages you into the wheelbarrow and not out of it. <laughs> maybe even someone that carry, just like picks it up, you know, carries it around and says, let's go. Let's go. Get in that wheelbarrow because the God that we serve is faithful and true and and everything he says will come to pass and his faithfulness is our confidence. And sometimes you just need that little pep talk. A lot of times. A lot of times you need it. Maybe it's in the form of text or, or, or you're hearing it from somebody or they're just the one that you know that you know that when you failed, you can go to them and say, I blew it. And they're not gonna walk out the door. They're gonna look at you and say, all right, How are we going to fix this? What are we going to do to fix this? Elisha knew mentoring was not a waste of his time. It was critical. It was imperative to take risks of faith. This mentoring, this transferring of spiritual investment is such a, a model in the scripture. And you can't always see the ripple effects until you look at it closely. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think we can ever see until we get to heaven exactly all of the ripple effects of the spiritual investment that you make. Now, there are so many examples of that happening in our church family that I had a hard time deciding even even one to show you an example of, but I chose the one that maybe I know the most well. And even from from this example I'm about to show you, there are even more branches of this that I couldn't even just fit us all up here today. So I'm just giving you like a Cliff Notes version of what's happening here. So, So for example, Cheryl, come up here, Cheryl. Cheryl, you stand right there. Cheryl takes time in her month and her week to invest in me. And we meet for coffee, and I tell her all about all of you <laughs> and all the things I'm dealing with and how I'm going to deal with it. And I tell her about the, the stresses of life I have, and she looks at me and she says, you know, let's pray through it this way, and I'll help you with that. And she says, and she says how, can I, how, how, can I, how can I mold your thinking? You know, that what you're thinking isn't actually true. Really, the scripture says it's this, so, so let's move it. And she also sits with Sarah. Where's Sarah? My friend Sarah's here today. Sarah, come up here. She sits with Sarah. She does the same thing. All right, Sarah, you stand right here, if you don't mind. Please. Thank you. All right. She sits with Sarah. Now, Sarah, throughout the week, sits with Nicole, Where's Nicole? Nicole, come here. 
And they sit on campus, right? And they talk about how am I ever going to study and finish my test and also lead my Bible study. And Sarah says, you can do this. All right, let me help you with it. Let me show you. And Nicole says, this, this, this student came to me and they have this problem and I don't know how to deal with this problem. And Sarah says, let's look in the scripture. Wait, I'll ask Cheryl. <laughs> oh, wait, okay, Cheryl, good. Tell Sarah. Sarah tells Nicole, right? And then, Nicole, who do you spend time with throughout the week? A lot of people, but who did you bring here today? Michaela. Where's Michaela? Michaela, come up here. Michaela, you're so cute. All right, stand right here. So then Michaela and Nicole, they sit together. And then, and then I spend some time with Lindsay. Lindsay, come here. Where are you? And Alicia, she's here today. I'm, stay, I don't know, over here. All right, I can't, you guys get it. And we sit together. And Lindsay says, all right, I'm, I'm graduating from my master's degree, and I want to serve God with my whole life. How do I do it? And she goes, this really didn't work out the way I planned, Nicole. What do I do now? And we process and we talk. And she goes, you gave me some bad advice. I went and did that and didn't work. And I say, okay, well, let's try again. Let me ask Cheryl. That's what I do. <laughs> and then I go back to Lindsay. And then Lindsay makes her life around the principles of God's word. And then Alicia moves here just recently from, from uh, the other, that way, that direction. <laughs> New York. And Alicia and I talk, and, and she says, how did you organize these things in Kyalpha, and, and what does this work for you? And, 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 and what happens when you feel a little inadequate? Like, how do you keep doing God's call? And I say, I don't have it figured out yet, Alicia, but let me tell you. Let me tell you some of the things that I do. And then these girls, oh my gosh, it doesn't stop. I had to stop it because it doesn't stop. Lindsay hangs out with Nicolette and Delaney. Come up here. And they're graduating high school, and they're going, I don't know what we're going to do with my life. And Lindsay goes, let me tell you. Boys, they're terrible. No, she doesn't say that. She doesn't say that. But she meets with them, and she says, you know, I've taken some risks for God, and I'm not that far ahead of you, but I'm far enough to tell you that if you put God at the center of your life, if you seek him first, that the rest of the things will fall into place. And that's what she says. And then, and then Alicia meets with Jenna. Jenna's going to graduate. She's going into Kyle She's sort of in this weird thing. And, and they meet together. And, and they probably do hair and nails. But, you know, that is part of mentoring right there. It's really important. And, and they talk. And Alicia says, listen, you're about to go into college. And there's going to be things there that you've never experienced. There's going to be temptations you've never had before. But every time you're tempted, I'm going to stand there with you, okay? You call me. And together, we're going to serve God. And together, we're going to get you through college. And you're going to love God more than you did when you came in. And God's going to do amazing and miraculous things. And I'll tell you what. This was like, there's so many people that couldn't be here today. And people more that Cheryl mentors. And it was going to get confusing. So let's just start here. But what I love about this picture is Cheryl. Someone poured into Cheryl. And Cheryl said, okay. I'm going to be faithful to just give out what I've gotten. And so she did that. She didn't have to know everything. She didn't have to have all the answers. And as she did that, these girls said, okay, well, then I'm going to tell somebody else, and I'm going to spend my time and my energy. And not every single meeting is like, you know, a Holy Spirit break meltdown. Like, just sometimes you talk about the coffee and how stale it is. But, but you just get together and you keep investing in each other, and you get to this moment where you're like, you know, I have somebody that I could look back and say that, that this is, they're going to stand next to me and say, don't give up and think big and play smart and get in the wheelbarrow and, and move forward because our lives are on this trajectory, and, and the beginning of the spiritual transformation happens. Would you give a hand to these 
lovely looking women. Thank you. All right. Cheryl may never have a cup of coffee with Michaela. Maybe she will after today, but she may never, but her investment trickled there. Do you see that? And those girls, you know, Nikki and Delaney will go to college or wherever God sends them, and they will invest in girls. And, and this will just keep going and going and going. But if you do not give what you have to someone or, or sit with someone and get something, you stop the chain. You don't have to know everything. You don't even have to be like so available they can call you every second. Sometimes you just have to say, look, let's get breakfast once a month and you just tell me what's going on with your life and I'll pray you through the rest of the month. It can be that simple. But Elisha knew that playing smart was finding someone to invest in him, finding someone to learn from him. And I just wanna really encourage you that that is the thing that's gonna get you to the place when you think big, when you fight hard, and when you play smart, you can get into the wheelbarrow and God can take you to risky places and he can show you the miraculous. So let me pray for you today if you bow your head. Jesus, I thank you for your example of Elisha and Elijah and how you showed us how you transfer the mantle that when someone dies, that you never die with them, God. That your legacy remains and that we should take that and carry that on, God. That generations need to understand you and that you will expand your kingdom through the faithfulness of, of ordinary people. God, that you will expand your kingdom through the faithfulness of ordinary people in Erie, Pennsylvania, God. And so I pray today that you would impress upon us the people that we need to invest in, the people that we need to get from, that you would help us find somebody just a few steps ahead of us, some, somebody that is where we want to be, and that we would approach them and say, hey, maybe, you know, maybe this isn't what you're thinking, but I'd really love to just sit with you and, and see how you dealt with life sometimes. God, we pray that we could think big, we could ask big, we could fight hard to the end, and we could play smart. And Lord, we trust you so much that we would get in the wheelbarrow any day of the week. God, you are faithful and we love you. And it is in your name we pray, amen. Hey, have an awesome week. We'll see you next Sunday.